Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, hopelessness is a common feeling among the world today. People are more and more describing their lives as hopeless, their future as hopeless, the future of our country uh, as hopeless. And people become hopeless when they feel they're in a situation where they have no capacity to change that situation, to influence that situation. And I'm sure that each one of us have experienced that feeling of hopelessness at some point in time in our life, a circumstance, a situation where we felt hopeless within it. And, uh, you know, the reality is that before you and I accepted Jesus, we were hopeless. Uh, our, our life was hopeless. Our future was hopeless. Our eternity was hopeless. Without Jesus, this world is hopeless. Without Jesus, their lives aren't going to change. Without Jesus, their future isn't going to change. Without Jesus, that void in their lives will not change. Their spiritual state will not change. Their eternal state will not change. When you're without Jesus, you are without hope. That's the bad news. But the good news is when you have Jesus, there is an abundance of hope. With Jesus, you have hope. Hope that your situation can change. Hope that your life can change. Hope that your future can change. Hope that this world can change. Hope that eternity for people can change. As Christians, we have Jesus. We have hope. And we need to share that hope with this hopeless world. Because the world around us is seeking hope. It's seeking to put their hope into something. And ultimately, they're being let down over and over and over again because they haven't placed it in the only thing that gives lasting hope. And that's Jesus. In our passage this morning, we're going to see a man who's in a hopeless situation. He is physically powerless to change the circumstances that he faces. We're also going to see Peter and John meet this man who's in this hopeless situation. And what Peter and John do in response to this man's hopeless situation is a great example to us. Because the reality is not only do we experience those situations sometimes, but we always have people in our lives that are experiencing hopeless circumstances, hopeless situations, and how we respond to them is key as Christians. And so we're going to see the response of Peter and John to this man in a hopeless circumstance, and hopefully what we learn will be a good challenge for us as we encounter these types of people that we too would respond in the same type of way to be able to help those people in need. So let's see what we can learn here in our passage this morning. We finished chapter 2 of Acts last week, the start of the early church, the first message preached, the first gospel presentation given, 3,000 people getting saved, and then they focused on the word, they focused on fellowship, they focused on communion, they focused on prayer. We saw wonderful things taking place, and now we're going to see something with Peter and John. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse One says this. Now, when Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John, 
about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaped up, stood and walked, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So in these verses, we have three important people that I want you to take note of. We have first Peter and John. And we've seen a lot of Peter and John in the book of Luke that we just finished, so we have some familiarity with them. But here in the book of Acts, we've seen something very significant in Acts chapter 2 with Peter and John. They are now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've also seen Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preach the first sermon, preach the first gospel message, and 3,000 people get saved. And so Peter and John, they're men who have been changed, men who have been empowered by the Spirit of God. But there's another important person in these verses, a man we're told who is lame. And these verses give us some important details about this individual. First of all, we're told that he was lame from his mother's womb. So since birth, this guy has been lame. He's been unable to walk. He's had this ailment his whole life. Secondly, Acts 4, 22, it tells us how long he's had to deal with this. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So this man is lame from birth and he's now over 40 years old. And so for over 40 years, this man has been in this circumstance, been in this state of not being able to walk and get around. And he has this inability that's been with him for this amount of time. Thirdly, we're told in verse 2 that this man was carried and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And the reason that they brought this man daily to this temple, to this gate, was so that he could beg for money. That's why they brought him there, so that that's the way that he got enough to survive. So every day people would take him and they'd lead him to this gate and they'd leave him there for the day and he would beg for money. So this man is over 40 years old, and all his life he's been lame, he can't walk, he can't get himself around, and every day he has to be carried to this gate where he can beg for money. So here's a man who's definitely in a hopeless situation. His whole life has been this way, and he's helpless to change it. He's helpless to do anything about it. He can't work, he can't even get himself to the place that he begs, he has to be carried by someone else. And I'm sure at some point in time, he just, you know, resigned himself to the fact that this is just my life. It's been over 40 years. Nothing's going to change. This is me. This is my circumstances. This is what I'm going to have to face forever. Nothing is going to change for me. I'm always going to have this hopeless situation. Well, Luke tells us the name of the gate that this man was brought to was called Beautiful. And they were very, very um, wise in the words that they used because they picked this gate. Why? Because it was the most beautiful gate there is. This is a picture of the temple uh, at that time. You can see there where the gate beautiful was located. 
Josephus, a uh, Jewish historian, describes this gate by saying it was made of fine Corinthian brass, 75 feet high with huge double doors, so beautiful that it greatly excelled those that were only covered with silver and gold. And so this was, you know, as they saw this gate, as people would come up to this gate, there's several different entrances that you could go into to get into the temple, but this is the one that was most used because it was the most beautiful. And I bring that up because if you're going to beg for a living, location is key. You want to be where a lot of people are coming by you. You see this in Houston all the time. I drive a lot, and I note something. Where you come to a stoplight where there's a whole lot of traffic, that's where the people come and beg because they have the most amount of opportunities for someone to give to them. I was driving around out in Alvin, out in the middle of nowhere. There's barely any houses, and it was literally no lights, just stop uh, signs, and there was a guy begging there, and there was no cars. And I'm thinking, this is not a good spot you know, if you're going to want to try to make money begging, but, you know, Maybe it worked for him. I don't know. But, you know, this man, he was brought to this particular gate every day, and it would have been beneficial if you're a beggar. And it's also people are coming into the temple. They're more likely to give since they're coming into the temple. So he had a good location. Uh, And we're told here now that this man, he's been 40 years in this circumstance. And on this particular day, he's going to have an encounter with Peter and John. Because Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to pray. And they're going to go through this gate beautiful, but they're going to encounter this man who's been lame from birth. And and I want you to note the response that Peter and John have to this man in his hopeless circumstance. Notice what we're told in verses 4 through 7. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. There are four things I want you to note about how Peter and John respond to this man who is in a hopeless situation, who has this great need, because their response is a great example to us of how we should respond to the needs of people around us. The first thing I want you to note about Peter and John's response to this man is, first they were told they fixed their eyes on him. Now, interestingly, this Greek word translated fix here means to look intently on someone or something to fasten one's eyes upon. Notice Peter and John, they didn't just glance at this guy and keep going. They looked intently at him and they saw the need that this individual had and they stopped to seek to meet the need. I think an important principle for us to understand is that before we can be used to meet a need, we got to see the need. You know, a lot of times as Christians, oh yeah, I want to meet the needs of the people around me, of the community around me. But before you can meet a need, you have to see it. You have to know it exists so that you can go and do something about it. But oftentimes in our busy schedule, in our lives the way that they are, we're so consumed with what we're doing that we really don't take much time to really look at the needs of the people around us. And we think, oh, I'm ready to meet needs. And God's saying, there's so many needs around you if you would just stop and look. If you would just stop and look at the lives of the people that I I've already placed in your sphere of influence, there's a huge amount of need. You're just so focused on your own life that you're missing it. And I so often, myself included, I miss needs because I'm not doing this first thing of just looking intently at other people's lives to see where are the needs that I could come and seek to help with and meet. And so they do this 
for this man. And I think something else interesting to note is notice what they're doing. Notice what they're on their way to do. They're going to, to the temple to pray to do something very spiritual, something important. And they could have easily just said, you know what, I don't have time for you. I got something more important to do. I'm going to pray to the Lord. And when I'm done with that, maybe, you know, I'll give you some of my time. They didn't do that. They didn't say, oh, you know, I got something more important to do. They saw this need. They saw this man and they stopped to meet that need. And I think this is an important reminder to anyone who does ministry, because I know when I first became a pastor, this was something that I struggled with. I oftentimes saw the needs of people as a distraction to the spiritual things I wanted to do, like study and prepare for messages. And I remember as I was preparing for messages, sometimes I would get phone calls or people coming to my house with needs, and I'd get frustrated with that and thinking, you're interrupting my preparation, you're interrupting my study, and the Lord just had to really deal with my heart and say, hey, I didn't just bring you here to teach people. I came, I brought you here to minister to the needs of the people around you and to really change my heart that I wouldn't see that as a distraction, but I would have compassion on the needs of the people that the Lord was bringing into my life. And as I looked at Jesus, I realized, you know what? He was never too busy for the needs of people around him because he came to minister to them. He was always available to the people that were in his sphere of influence. And if we want to have the heart of Jesus, then we need to be looking intently at the needs of others and doing what we can to help. So the first thing I want you to note about how Peter and John dealt with this hopeless man's needs is that they looked intently at this man. They saw his need and they stopped to do something about it. And that is a great example to us. The first way we should respond to the hopeless needs of people around us is we need to look intently to see the needs of others and then seek to meet those needs. You know, as believers, we need to be aware not only of the physical needs around us, but also of the spiritual needs around us, because so many people have huge physical and spiritual needs in the culture that we live in. The second thing to note about how Peter and John responded to this hopeless man's need is they got this man's attention. Notice Peter says to this man, look at us. And this man looks at them thinking, oh, man, oh, I'm going to get something. I'm going to get some money. I'm ready. What is it? Because I'm sure lots of people said, hey, look here, buddy. And, you know, they'd give him some money. And so when Peter says this, he gets this man's attention. You know, and I think this is something that is important for us to do as well. When we seek to meet the needs of others, it's important to get their attention so we can tell them why we're meeting their needs and ultimately point to Jesus. You know, if you feel the Lord's saying, you know, give to a person in need or give to someone who's homeless or give to who whatever, you know, don't just hand them some money and leave it at that. Take the opportunity to tell them why. You know, you're not just giving to them, you know, mainly because you're generous. You know, if the Lord's leading you to give, let them know, hey, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you and he's changed my life and I want to demonstrate his love to you. Take the opportunity to express to them why you're doing it. And oftentimes when you give to someone, they'll give you their attention because you're giving to them. And that's another great opportunity if they're open and receptive and listening, start to share the gospel. Hey, you might be meeting a practical need first and then go ahead and meet a spiritual need and share with them what they really need to hear, what Jesus Christ has done. But don't waste an opportunity. If the Lord's leading you to meet a need, share why you're doing it. Express to that person, get their attention and communicate to them why you're doing that. You see, our ultimate goal in helping people both physically and spiritually should be to point them to Jesus. 
Help them to see Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Use that opportunity to point people in his direction. So first, Peter and John saw this man's need. Second, they got his attention. But the most important thing to note is what they gave this man. Notice what we're told in verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. When Peter got this man's attention, I'm sure this man was expecting what he got all the time. All right, someone's going to give me some money. You know, I'm here, I'm begging for alms, and you know, Peter and John are there, and, and that was his expectation. He was just going to get money to support him in the condition he was in. But you know what? God wanted to do something far better than that. God didn't want to support him in the condition he was in. God wanted to completely change his condition. I want you to notice that the world was unable to meet this hopeless man's need, both physically and spiritually. All they could do was give him a bit of money to support him with food and drink. All they could do is really help him maintain his condition. The world could give him some temporary relief, but they could not give this man a cure to his lameness. They could not change his circumstances. You know, the world is full of activity. It can try to help us politically, help us socially, help us educationally, and sometimes it'll even entertain us as we go through difficulty. But it has no ability to help us spiritually and to help us when we really need a miraculous change in our life. You see, all the world can do is support us in the condition that we're in, physically and spiritually, but it cannot change that condition. Only God can do that. You see, God wants to take people from darkness to light. He wants to take people from spiritual death to spiritual life. He wants to take people from that hopelessness to hopefulness in him. Something we need to understand is that as believers in Jesus, we have the ability to help people in a way the world cannot. Because we have Jesus. We have the one. We know the one who can do that. And we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to help them. And so, you know, we need to recognize that God has given us Jesus Christ, given us the Holy Spirit. When Peter said he didn't have any money to give this man, I can imagine that man thinking, you know, you don't care about me. You don't want to support me. Look at the mess I'm in. I've been like this since birth. But Peter and John have no interest in supporting the man in his mess. They want to transform his life by the power of the risen Christ. They want to see this man completely healed and completely changed. Adam Clark, the great theologian, said, It is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. As believers, we shouldn't just be focused on making people's lives here more bearable. I get frustrated with a lot of outreach and a lot of missions that that's all it is. It's great to meet people's practical needs. I'm not against that in any way, shape, or form. But when we go out to a mission field or we do some kind of outreach and that's all you do is feed the homeless or clothe people or do something practical and you leave it at that, all you're doing is helping them in the present condition that they're in, but you've done nothing to change their condition spiritually. You haven't shared the gospel. You haven't done anything to ultimately do something that's going to have a lasting impact. Yeah, they have another meal. Yeah, they're warmer, but guess what? They're still going to hell. So what have we really done for them if we're going to not communicate the gospel? And so, yes, we can do practical things that open up the door for people to be receptive for the gospel, but make sure to conclude both. And so don't just be focusing on making people's present condition more bearable. 
understand we have the message that can change their life for all eternity. So Peter starts by telling this hopeless man, silver and gold we don't have. But he goes on to say, what I do have I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Peter realized he has something much more valuable than money to offer this man in his hopeless circumstance. He had Jesus and the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. You know, for some people who are in the church world today, to say silver and gold I do not have is like the worst possible thing you could say. Oh, the church doesn't have silver and gold. How horrible. There's a story about a humble monk walking with a Roman Catholic cardinal. This was at the time of the Middle Ages when the Roman Catholic Church was at its zenith of power, prestige, and wealth. The cardinal pointed to all the opulent surroundings and said to the monk, We no longer have to say silver and gold we don't have. And the monk replied, But neither can you say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Sadly, there are churches today that are completely focused on getting more and more money and wealth, and they miss something of far greater value. We have the power of the gospel to transform lives. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to impact lives. This world doesn't need more money. It needs Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses of Christ who are willing to boldly go out and proclaim the gospel. It needs the miraculous move of God. So Peter and John offer this hopeless man a a miraculous touch from Jesus. And once again, this is a great example for us. The third way we should respond to hopeless needs of people around us is we need to recognize that we have the most valuable thing to offer those in need, which is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've come across so many Christians who think to themselves, I have nothing to offer God, nothing to offer this world. And that's such a lie. That's something that the enemy wants you to buy into. You have what this world needs the most. You have Christ. You have a recognition of how to have a relationship with Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you who can empower you to impact the needs of this world around you. And so don't ever buy into this lie that I have nothing to offer this world. Absolutely, you do. You have so much to offer them. You have the one message that they are in desperate need of that oftentimes they don't even know. They don't recognize that it's Christ that they're ultimately needing to hope in. That it's Christ that is going to fill the void that they're seeking to fill in so many other ways. But we have that message and we can communicate to them. So Peter tells this hopeless man, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And I want you to note the next thing that Peter does, because I think it's very, very important. Verse 7, and Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, it's one thing to tell someone, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk, especially a cripple who has never walked, who's been crippled from the mother's womb. To say that's one thing. To grab the guy's hand and lift him to his feet is something completely different. You see, what Peter is doing is he's now taking a step of faith. He's not just with his words saying something. He's now putting action to it. He's taking this step of faith because he's confident the Holy Spirit is going to move in this man. Because imagine, if Peter goes and he lifts this guy up and this guy falls back down, 
He's going to look like a fool. He's going to look like a jerk coming up and getting this man's hopes up and lifting him to the air, and he falls back down. And so to go and to do this is a, is a big step of faith. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit led Peter to be used to heal this man, but Peter needed to act in faith. He needed to act upon the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. So the Holy Spirit leads Peter to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And then Peter chooses in faith to respond by taking this man by the hand and lifting him in the air. Once again, this is a great example to us. The fourth way we should respond to hopeless people's needs is when the Holy Spirit leads us to meet someone's need, we have to act in faith and follow his leading. If you remember last chapter, the Holy Spirit led Peter as well. He said, ultimately leading Peter to preach a message. There's thousands of people gathered. They hear the speaking of tongues. They don't know what's going on. And Peter has this privileged opportunity to stand before this crowd and proclaim the first sermon and the first gospel message. But you know what? He had to take a step of faith. He had to stand up and start speaking. He could have just cowered like he did, you know, just a few weeks earlier when he was challenged with, do you, you know, oh, you're one of Jesus' disciples. No, I'm not. At this point in time, he had to take that step of faith. He had to stand up and he had to proclaim that message. And we know the wonderful result of him doing that. 3,000 people get saved. You see, when the Holy Spirit leads us to share the gospel with someone, we have to take a step of faith and boldly start to speak. Because oftentimes, and I'm confident that you've experienced, I know I have, where you're with someone and you feel this desire to share the gospel and you've probably at some point in time didn't. You had this, I should say this, this is a great opportunity. Oh, well, maybe I'll get another one at another day at another time. And we just stay silent. You see, the leading of the Holy Spirit's there, but there wasn't that willingness to take a step of faith and actually follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, something we need to understand about the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He doesn't overpower us. He doesn't say, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. I'm leading you to do this, and I'm going to force you to do this. No, he leads us, and then he leaves it with us as to whether or not we're going to respond, whether or not we're going to follow that leading, whether or not we're going to be obedient to what he's leading us to do, whether we're going to take that step of faith and follow what he wants of us. Peter, he takes that step of faith. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and the step of faith is here. I'm going to lift you, and I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to heal you. Well, now I want you to note how this hopeless man, who for 40 years has been in this crippled state, and who knows what he's thinking of, like, what are you talking about? And he gets his hand grabbed, and he's lifted to his feet, and he's healed. Verse 8, let's see how he responds. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Notice this man has never walked before in his life. This is something that I found interesting. And all of a sudden, he's leaping, and he's praising the Lord. He didn't have to learn. I mean, he was never a baby who was taught to walk and you know, learn how to do that. He instantaneously was healed and given this capacity to walk all at once, and he's jumping around, and obviously he's so excited that he has the capacity now to use his legs, which he never has had before. You see, when God touches your life, it isn't a temporary relief, but a complete cure. The most important touch of God is the spiritual touch where he cures us from our sin. See, God wants to give complete change 
to you and I. The Bible tells us when we accept him, we become new creations. The old things, the old life passes away. Behold, all things become new. We're given a new beginning, new strength, new power, new life, a new relationship that we now have with God. Notice as soon as this man was healed, he did three great things. First, he attached himself to the apostles. You know, they heal him, but he stays with them because now they're going into the temple and he goes right with them into the temple and he stays connected with them. And I think that's so important, especially when people first get saved. It's so essential to stay connected with believers so you can get encouraged and discipled and learn how to live the Christian life. Secondly, he immediately started to use what God had given him. He was walking and leaping through the temple. You know, when God saves us and he gives us this wonderful privilege of a relationship with him, we should immediately take advantage of that. We should immediately utilize that and spend that time with him. Or if God heals you like he does with this man and you've been incapacitated and you've been in bed and you've had whatever difficulty you've had and the Lord brings a healing touch upon your life and now you have a physical capacity to get out and do stuff that you never did prior to that, then utilize that. Utilize that physical strength that the Lord has given you and go do stuff for him and for his glory and service. Third, this man began to praise and worship God. You know, whenever God does something in our life, this should be one of the ways in which we respond. A response of praising him for what he has done for us. This man obviously has something miraculous transpire in his life, and he's so excited, and he's praising the Lord for it. But you know what? We always have reason to praise God for what he's already done for us. And I get saddened sometimes. I've seen it in my own Christian life, and I see it with other believers. Of We're in this place of like, all right, Lord, what are you going to do for me now if you want me to continue to praise you? And we kind of just, you know, well, yeah, I know you've died on the cross for me, and I know you did other things for me, but, I mean, what are you going to do right now for me that's going to give me that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling so that I'll praise you? And that's kind of sad that we have to be in that place where we actually say, you need to do something for me in the present, for me to praise you in the present, instead of recognizing we have reason to praise him for all eternity for what he's already done for us. If all he did was die on the cross for us and never did anything else, we would still have enough to praise him for for all eternity. And so we should be people full of praise because we have so much reason to praise the Lord. Well, that's how the lame man responds to being healed. But also notice the crowd because there's a lot of people going into the temple and they experience and see what transpires. Let's see how they respond in verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Kind of like church, the temple's not a place where people would run around leaping up and down. And so you get this guy who's leaping up and down. He's going to draw attention to himself. And people, as they're watching him, like, who is this guy doing this? I mean, come on, who does this in the temple? And all of a sudden, they start to realize, well, wait a second. Isn't that the guy who's been at the gate beautiful for the last however many years? You know, that they recognize who he is. They recognize that he was a cripple. And then all of a sudden, him leaping around makes sense of, wow, what's just transpired? They, they realize something miraculous took place. This man has been healed. Now, just like we saw in chapter 2, the miraculous speaking of tongues drew a crowd and it gave Peter an opportunity. An opportunity where the Spirit of God led him to preach 
And he took a step of faith and he did that. Well, this is going to give him another opportunity. A crowd has gathered. They see this man who's been healed. He's jumping up and down. He could never even walk before. And that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is about to transpire, which we'll look at next week, because Peter now gets another opportunity, led by the Holy Spirit, to do what? Proclaim another gospel message, to share with this crowd who is the one who actually healed this man and how they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so once again, Peter's going to get an opportunity to step out in faith and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at next week. But as I mentioned before, there are four main purposes for the miraculous moving of the Holy Spirit. First, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Second, to boldly share the gospel. Third, to edify the body of Christ. And fourth, to bring glory to God. And you know what? This miracle that transpires does all four of those. This is a great thing because Peter and John first, they're, they're a witness for Jesus. Peter's about to proclaim the gospel. The body of Christ is going to be edified, but most importantly, glory and honor is going to be given to God for what he has done. Now, there's one other thing I want you to note about this healing that I think is very important for us, especially when it comes to how quickly or the timing in which we desire God to work. Because notice that this healing was done in God's timing, not in man's timing. Note that the crowd knew this lame man because he sat daily at the gate for so many years. And you know what? As I started thinking of that, it got me thinking. Jesus only died on the cross a couple months before this. Jesus went to the temple a lot, especially towards the end of his life. This guy was taken daily to the same gate. Daily he's been there for years. I am confident Jesus had walked by this man before. But you know what? Jesus didn't heal him. And you might want to think to yourself, well, Jesus, you saw this man in need. Well, why didn't you heal him? Well, I would throw out to you because God had a perfect timing. You see, I believe that God said, you know what? It is better that Jesus would heal through his apostles after he has left this earth, then to heal this man while he was physically here on this earth because now people could realize he still has the power to heal. He's now going to use his followers. And you can think, man, Jesus, you know, why didn't you touch this guy? Why didn't you heal this guy? He's been like this for over 40 years. And Jesus says, no, no, I have the perfect timing to meet this man's need, which is also going to bring the greatest glory to myself. And something we need to understand is that God's timing is always perfect. And that can be hard because we have people that we see with needs. We have our own lives that we have needs with. And really, we're very impatient people in a very impatient culture. And we just say, Lord, we want the healing now. We want the circumstance change now. We want you to intervene now. Not tomorrow, not in an hour, right now while I'm praying, we want this to be changed. And that's kind of our hearts. And I'm sure this guy and his family and his friends had been praying for him for years. And I'm sure a lot of them just finally gave up. Hey, man, it's been over 40 years. This is you for life. Just accept it. It's not going to change. You know, we're wasting our time. But God had a perfect timing, a perfect plan. And I think that's something that we need to understand and recognize. I mean, I had this kidney stone for almost two weeks, and I know I was praying, I want it gone today. You know, but I learned a lot you know, through that. And I think there's always things that the Lord wants to teach us. And it's just trusting in his timing is so important. 
So in these verses, we have a great example from Peter and John of how to respond to people who are in hopeless circumstances, who have these great needs. First, we need to look intently and see the needs because you can't meet any need until you first see the needs of people around you. Don't get so caught up and distracted with life that you miss the needs of the people that God has brought in your life. Second, we need to get the attention of the people so that we can tell them why we're meeting their need and point them to Jesus. Third, we need to recognize that we have something so valuable to offer. We have Jesus. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And fourth, when the Holy Spirit leads us to do something, we got to be willing to act in faith and follow that leading. You see, we can know that we have what the world needs. We can know we have Jesus. We can know we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? When he leads and we do nothing, then it does nothing for this world. We have to take that step of be bold and share and be bold and do whatever the Lord is leading us to do. Peter and John were Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses that were used by God to do great things. But understand, you and I are Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses that God wants to do great things through as well. We sometimes elevate these guys and think, oh, we can never be like them. No, you have the same power of God in you that they did. God wants to use you to reach this world just like he wanted to use them to reach the world at their time. You know, we live in a hopeless world that is seeking hope, seeking to find something to put hope in. And I think this is really evident when you look at the political arena that you see in our world today. I think it's interesting when Barack Obama was running for president, his campaign slogan was, change we can believe in. And our country realized we need change. And so many people said, you know, we're going to vote for him because he tells us he's going to bring change. We need change. And so let's let him bring change to our country. Well, we have Donald Trump right now. His campaign slogan is make America great again. And people realize, you know what, there's a greatness that this country once had that it doesn't have now. And we want it back. And and this guy's claiming that he's going to bring it back. And so let's get behind him and allow him to make America great again. But you know what? I think there's an important question that it seems to me many didn't ask before electing President Obama and many people aren't asking here with Donald Trump. And that is, what is the most important change our country needs? What is the most important thing that will make America great again? You see, the most important change our country needs is to get right with God, to accept Jesus Christ to allow God back into every area of our society, to be great in God's eyes, to be focused on obedience to him, to be once again a country who can honestly say, in God we trust and not just have it on our money. That's where we need to get back to, a country that truly follows him and believes in him and trusts in him. And that's not going to come from a politician. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their, their land. Oh, how our country is in desperate need of doing this. Humbling themselves before Almighty God, confessing their sin and asking for forgiveness and that God would heal our land. But you know what? They don't know the God of the Bible. 
They don't recognize oftentimes the sin that they have and the need for a savior. And it's not politicians' job to change our country. It's the church's job to get out there and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see a transformation in our country. It's going to happen when the church gets out and reaches the culture. I mean, the culture is just voting for what they desire. If we want to see a change in the voters, then the voters have to be changed by the power of Christ. And how is that going to happen? Well, it's only going to happen when the church gets out there and impacts the culture and shares the gospel with the culture. And so we have the truth. We have ultimately what this hopeless world is looking for. They're searching for hope, but they're never going to find it in anything but Christ. But we have that message of hope. We have that gospel truth, the good news. But we have to be, as Peter and John were, willing when the Spirit of God leads us to take that step of faith and be bold and communicate the good news, communicate the gospel, share Christ with this culture, and allow God to move and change lives for all eternity. Can I have Colson come on up? And We're going to end this morning with a, a time of worship, but... As we've done before, my, myself and uh, Lee and Ray, we're just going to be in the back. And, you know, maybe this morning you feel like, I-, I got some hopeless circumstances that I'm facing right now. We'd love to pray for you. Or perhaps you say, you know what, there, there's some people in my life that, that I want to share the gospel with. And, and, and every time there's an opportunity, I, I just shut down and, and I'm not bold enough and I'm not willing to, to, to share. Well, we'd like to pray for that. Whatever it is in your life right now, if you need prayer, uh, we'd love to, to lift up those circumstances, those situations. And so uh, as we have this time of worship, uh, if you want to come to the back and get prayer, then we'd love to do that. If you just want to sit and worship, uh, then we encourage you to do that as well. But uh, it's just a time for uh, just ministering uh, to the body. So let's go ahead and do that. Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. 